All right, Lone Star Gunners, welcome to the podcast. This is Lone Star Gun Talk, the official podcast of Lone Star Gun Rights, and I am your host, as always, Derek Wills, and I am thrilled to be here, as always. Um, I missed last week. That was completely my fault. Huge oversight on my uh, on my uh, part, and so for that, I apologize, and today I'm going to make up for it by catching everybody up on everything that we've missed thus far. Uh, but before we get into that, I want to thank our sponsor here at Lone Star Gun Talk, and that is The Bunker. The Bunker is a veteran-owned and operated small business in the Texas Hill Country, specializing in products for those who long to thrive in the outdoors. Whether you are looking for unique, tactical gifts or preparing for natural or man-made events, they have the products just for you. Go to TheBunkerTexas.com to check out their inventory of bug-out bags, tactical packs, first aid kits, MREs, and much more. Be sure to enter promo code LSGR at checkout to let them know that we sent you, and you will receive 10% off your order. Again, that is TheBunkerTexas.com, and the promo code is LSGR, as in Lone Star Gun Rights. Okay, so we have... Uh, we have kind of quite a bit to catch up on. Um, uh, first and foremost, if you caught uh, the episode from two weeks ago where I had Amy Robbins on, we talked about the Time Magazine piece that we worked on together. That is out now. And man, it, it was it, props to Time Magazine. They really handled this with the care and respect that it needed uh, to be dealt with. And um, if you go to the website, I'm going to link it in show notes, but uh, if you just go to time.com, you can see the Guns in America banner, and you can click on that, or you can go to time.com slash guns dash in dash America to find the entire piece that we worked on. And uh, of all of the 245 of us, that were there that participated in this over three cities, Washington, D.C., St. Louis, Missouri, and Dallas, Texas. Uh, You can see and click on each individual person and listen to a monologue that we all recorded, and it is completely unedited. The only thing that they edited out, and they told us this beforehand, the only thing that they were going to edit out is long pauses, or overused filler words, or if we didn't like something and we specifically wanted that cut out. And props to time, because they did exactly what they said that they were going to do. They did not edit anything that was that did not need to be edited. They didn't... It, it literally was long pauses, filler words, and things that we didn't want in. Um, and everybody that I've talked to that participated in this said the exact same thing. So... Uh, mad props to Time Magazine. Uh, I'm going to play for you here uh, two monologues, uh, one of which is uh, mine, and the other is LSGR co-founder Justin Delashes. He's also our legislative director. He spends a lot of time in Austin at the Capitol uh, making sure that we are trying to get uh, constitutional carry where it needs to be. He spent almost every day down at the Capitol last session. So, uh, you know, Justin is a busy, busy guy. Uh, Anyway, these are the two uh, from us. We were the only two that were featured for Lone Star Gun Rights. And um, it really was very fair the way that Time Magazine handled this. Uh, Check these out. They're only a few minutes long. 
My name is Justin Delosh. I'm the Legislative Director for Lone Star Gun Rights, a Second Amendment organization in Texas. I don't think we have a gun problem in America. I think that at the end of the day, a gun is a machine. The machine doesn't make decisions. You do. So it comes down to who's holding the gun. And now when you're talking about the issue of the number of guns that are out there and how they're getting access to them, I definitely think that there's things that every gun owner should do to improve on that, you know, as far as making sure your firearms are secure and knowing where they are and making sure everybody in your household knows how to use them. But at the end of the day, the gun is not making decisions. The, the person holding the gun is. I just want people that don't support the Second Amendment, I want them to understand that the Second Amendment is actually protecting you right now. And I feel like, I don't know if this is necessarily the perfect analogy for this, but repealing the Second Amendment would be like shark diving in a cage. It'd be like getting rid of the cage. My name is Derek Wills. I am a podcast host for Lone Star Gun Rights. Our organization has been dedicated to the restoration of our natural right to keep and bear arms. I say it's a natural right because government didn't give us this right. Much like how John Locke wrote about the idea of natural rights being life, liberty, and property, the tools necessary to defend life, liberty, and property are in and of themselves natural rights. And our ability to defend them adequately is necessary for the preservation of liberty. It doesn't matter if it's an intruder into your home, a tyrannical government, or if you're just trying to put food on the table. The reason that we bear arms is in the unlikely event that we have to defend life, liberty, and property. And the conversation that we have today is incredibly divisive, and it really shouldn't be. A lot of it is rooted in misconceptions on both sides. A lot of it is being closed-minded and not able to get past the surface of the conversation. I believe wholeheartedly, and our organization believes wholeheartedly, that because government didn't give us our right to bear arms, they don't have the authority to regulate or take it away. Even if the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution said no person has the right to bear arms, we would still have the natural right to bear arms. That said, we should not be so quick to anger and aggression and hostility whenever it comes to people with slightly different or incredibly different viewpoints as it relates to this. We should have a conversation. We should be able to sit down and disagree agreeably. We shouldn't be dependent upon rhetoric and talking points. We should be dependent upon the values that we hold dear. Why do we believe what we believe? You're not going to figure out why if you're not engaging in a conversation. When I started out being an advocate for gun rights, I supported personally, some forms of gun control. And then as I had those conversations, I grew more and more to realize that they're not ever going to accomplish anything and that they're not going to have the result that people want or need. And at the end of the day, because government didn't give us these rights, people didn't give us these rights. They come from beyond government. That any attempt to abridge, infringe, or otherwise regulate our natural rights 
is only going to harm those who plan on using them for good. Evil exists in this world, and you can't legislate it out. And people will commit heinous acts with any tool that's available to them. If you get rid of firearms, or you institute restrictions on firearms, or bureaucratic impediments in firearms, people will still use firearms to commit evil acts. In France, for instance, you had the Charlie Hebdo attack with weapons that were completely illegal in that country. And then again, somebody might find a different means. Like recently in Austin, you had somebody mailing package bombs to people across the city. Making something illegal or regulating it is not going to have any effect on the evil in this world. It's only going to deter and inhibit those who would otherwise be able to stop such a threat from being able to do so. In a chaotic situation, you're literally counting milliseconds where chaos is being invoked and evil is having its way. And if you're relying on law enforcement to show up, you're going to be waiting the eternal 7 to 12 minutes it takes for them to arrive and even begin to defuse that situation. Whereas if you take on the incredible responsibility of your own security, which each and every one of us should, then you can stop a threat in seconds as opposed to minutes. A lot of people, even on our side of the issue, tend to have beliefs that some regulation is okay. They're feel-good measures like background checks or prohibiting felons from possessing firearms. But at the end of the day, they don't ever do anything. They don't ever stop evil people from committing evil acts. And while it might make you feel good to want a law that restricts certain individuals, sometimes people make mistakes and they pay their debt to society and they should have their rights returned because their rights were not given to them by government, so government shouldn't take them away. If somebody is too dangerous to be in society, then they shouldn't be in society. But you shouldn't preempt that. You shouldn't say, well, I think that you are going to commit a heinous act, so I'm going to lock you up in a cage. But you also shouldn't rely on sort of a proactive approach that only proves to infringe upon the rights of those who would never commit such an act anyway. So to everybody listening, both who agree in the purity of the right to bear arms as well as those who would want nothing more than to see the obliteration of the firearm off of the planet, we all need to at least engage in a dialogue. It's important to talk. Maybe you will learn something about your position Maybe it will reinforce why you believe what you believe. And maybe it might cause you to reconsider your stance. But you'll never know unless you engage in that dialogue with somebody whose views are opposite of yours. We also shouldn't be lambasting people who believe slightly differently. We have people who would fall on our side of the aisle that support some forms of gun control regulation, but not a whole lot. And while I would never agree with them, and I would never fight to have those sorts of laws enacted, in fact, I'd fight to have those laws repealed, you cannot alienate people who mostly side with you. And to the people on the pro-gun control side, 
I would say that I hope that we can have a proactive dialogue and that we can at least talk about it. And if we both walk away with exactly the same position, at least we walk away learning something about each other, if not ourselves. So that was both Justin and my monologue. And again, I was just absolutely thrilled to be able to say what I felt needed to be said on this issue. And um, this, this project was released on Friday. And on Saturday, and this was two weeks ago, on Saturday there was a shooting at a synagogue in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It is heartbreaking for me. Um, as many of you know, I, uh, I am I'm Jewish, and these people were gunned down for the sole crime of being Jewish on Shabbat and attending temple. And many of you, I'm sure, I'm sure all of you share these sentiments that how impactful that was, because here we are in 2018 and 11 Jews were gunned down and killed for being Jewish here in the United States. It's any loss of life. It doesn't matter who they are, or what their motivation is. Uh, it doesn't matter why they were targeted. Um, it, none of that matters because it's it's tragic regardless. Um, but the way the story came out, it's very much hard uh, because of, I, I, and I don't know why, I, because ultimately it doesn't matter. Them being Jewish at Temple doesn't make them any more or less dead. It doesn't make uh, the shooter any more or less evil. But it is incredibly heartbreaking that that is what has happened here in the United States. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize what it is like to be on the gun rights side of this issue whenever something like this happens. And it's incredibly heartbreaking because on top of a national tragedy, gun rights advocates have to bear the brunt of anger that people are feeling as a result of these tragedies. We, I mean... Essentially, the, the logic behind it is, what kind of a monster are you? What kind of a sociopathic, uh, subhuman ingrate are you to defend the right of the individual to keep to have access, to continue to have access to the types of weapons that are used in such a tragedy? And it's easy to get on that that bandwagon, which is why you see this constantly in the news, and also the the left wing bias that is in the news. They they want to see the the obliteration of these weapons as well. Uh, but be 
because of how emotionally charged it is. You know, there is no good answer that we as gun rights advocates can give because anything we say is going to totally lack any empathy whatsoever. It makes us all look as if we are these heartless bastards who do not care about the ability of these people to stay alive. That's, that's the image that we portray whenever we have to answer these types of questions. And I don't really know how to convey it properly. I don't really know how to answer that person's question in a manner that will let them know that, look, I'm a, just as heartbroken as you are. I can say it all day, but they're the ones that are on the attack. And as somebody who's on defense, it looks like I'm trying to pander. It looks like we are trying to pander. I, I'm, things have kind of settled a little bit. Time has passed. It's been over a week since that tragedy took place. And uh, here's the thing. I would very much like to... I, w I would like to address anybody who does not agree with me on this issue. Um, most of you who listen to me regularly, probably all of you, agree with me on this issue, at least in part. Uh, you know, I, I am a Second Amendment purist. I believe that we should have the ability to keep and bear whichever arm we want, and it's none of the government's business. To everybody that doesn't agree with me, and I would hope that if you have any of those people in your lives, you will at least share this in part with them uh, so they can hear this, because it's, it's very important that they know this. We as gun rights advocates do care immensely about the loss of life due to gun violence. We really do. We don't like, nobody takes joy in hearing that our fellow countrymen have been gunned down for the sole crime of X, right? In this case, the sole crime of being Jewish at Temple during Shabbat. We take no pleasure in that. We take no joy in that. And to, to believe that we do is incredibly misguided. I understand, I understand the optics but I want to let each and every person know just how heartbroken we all are as Americans, as human beings, and just that any sort of loss of life of this nature is absolutely tragic, and we do not support it in any way, shape, or form. The reason that we advocate for the ability to possess these types of weapons and the reason why we advocate for the re-legalization of things like fully automatic weapons is because we never know what type of situation we could ever find ourselves in. If we were a business owner in Ferguson, Missouri, it would be far easier to defend our property with a belt-fed M240 against looters who sought nothing more than to destroy it for the sole purpose of it existing than it would be to uh, just call the police who are already out in riot gear dealing with everything else that's going on. We don't want anybody to lose their lives to gun violence. 
we don't want anybody to uh, have to deal with that sort of pain and that sort of loss of that premature loss of a loved one that went way before their time. It's absolutely tragic. And to be honest, I have I have been there myself. I have felt that type of pain of having to cope with the loss of a loved one due to the barrel of a firearm being pointed at them and the trigger being squeezed. I have dealt with that. It took a long time for me to deal with. And as a result, here I am, a podcast host for a no-compromise gun rights organization that believes that the Second Amendment has been infringed on at least since 1934, if not earlier, if you want to talk about Supreme Court rulings. And I want to see the full restoration of the, of the Second Amendment in my lifetime. I want to see the full restoration of the Second Amendment in my, here in the, as soon as humanly possible. That's what we fight for. And the reason is because I want people, no matter who they are, to be, have the ability to defend for, for, defend themselves with whatever implement they choose as appropriate against attacks just like this. I want people to take their own security upon it themselves. I want the I want people to understand the responsibility it is to take your own personal security upon yourself. That is not to say that law enforcement does not have its place. Absolutely it does. But in a chaotic situation where milliseconds are counting, as I said during my monologue, in a chaotic situation where evil is wreaking havoc, it is going to be an eternity if you are waiting on the police. The level of tragedy that is the product of a mass shooting is entirely dependent upon the arrival of a second firearm. And sometimes that might need a weapon that is capable of things that you do not care for. That might require a functionality that you would otherwise deem evil. And that also might require an operator that you might feel as not being worthy of possessing such a tool. That's why gun rights advocates fight for what we fight for. And I sincerely hope that anybody who believes in uh, gun control legislation, that at least come on to the program, let's talk about it. I've done it before. I had Ed Scruggs on here several months ago. He is the vice chairman of Texas Gun Sense, a gun control advocacy organization here in Texas. I want to have those conversations. I want to explain why we believe what we believe, and I want you to explain why you believe what you believe. And I hope to God that we can sit here and have a rational conversation for however long it takes, and maybe, just maybe, we might be able to dig down into the issues so deep 
that we can realize exactly where we stand. And I say we generally. I, I do know where I stand on this. I've had this conversation many, many times with people who do not agree. Um, but that is not to say that I do not enjoy the conversation. And, you know, if we walk away disagreeing, then we walk away disagreeing. There's nothing wrong with that. This is America, and you are entitled to believe. You have the right to believe whatever you believe, even if I adamantly disagree with you. It does not matter what Derek Wills thinks. It doesn't matter what Justin Deloche or A.J. Postle or any of the uh, founders of Lone Star Gun Rights believes. Okay. Um, now, I will say that if you try and voice that on our Facebook page in a comment, you might get some people uh, firing back at you. Um and uh, we just encourage conversation. That's all we do. We just we just want people to have those conversations. And I'm telling you, this conversation will get difficult at times because you are going to have to de uh, deconstruct it in such a way that makes it feel as if we are talking purely about statistics and not people's lives. And believe me, I'm well aware of that. But anyway, I digress. Uh, let's get back to some more news that we have going on. Um, we posted a, a repeat on Facebook that has to do with uh, Donald Trump uh, talking about banning bump stocks. Uh, this article was actually from uh, October 1st from Reuters. And uh, basically, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, and I just wanted to comment briefly on it. Banning bump stocks is an infringement upon the Second Amendment. We get all sorts of comments from people who follow us that say that they are like-minded, and they are for the most part. But they they say, they make the excuse that let's give it to them. Bump stocks are stupid anyway. I agree. Bump stocks are, bump stocks are ridiculous. They are absolutely ridiculous. I will never own one. Uh, but that does not mean that banning them is not an infringement upon the Second Amendment. Here is the thing. Whenever it comes to bump stocks, the only reason that they exist is because they are the free market solution to an already unconstitutional ban that Ronald Reagan signed in 1986. Okay, If he had never signed the Firearm Owners Protection Act, or if, if William Hughes, the Democrat from New Jersey who put that amendment into that bill, if that had never happened, bump stocks would not exist today. Instead, we would still be buying... Uh, uh, full auto and select fire weapons uh, under the NFA, and they would not cost $20,000. So uh, and people would just file their paperwork, wait their 6, 8, 12 months, however long it takes the ATF, whatever they're feeling like that year, to approve it, and you would have your weapon the same way that you would get your silencer or suppressor. Uh, but unfortunately, today, we have banned fully automatic weapons that were manufactured after May 19th, 1986. As a result, they are surplus weapons. There is a finite number of them because you cannot go back in time and manufacture more. Because of this, they cost you $15,000, dollars $25,000. And it's not because the, the, dis, the, the auto disconnect is some magical, wep, uh, magical piece of the fire control mechanism that uh, costs several thousand dollars to manufacture. It's just because getting that is so rare nowadays because as time goes on, that number, that supply will diminish 
And as long as demand stays the same and supply diminishes, the price will continue to increase. People like having fully automatic capabilities. They like it. Sometimes it's just because it's fun to shoot. Sometimes people have uh, the desire that they want to be prepared for anything. Um, regardless, it doesn't matter what they believe. If they want it, they should have the ability to own it. The bump stock was the solution to that problem. That's why they are so popular. Because people like the ability to insert a, a, a mechanism that will give them the simulation of firing fully automatic. It's not a good use or effective use of your weapon, but it is a use that people enjoy. I have fired fully automatic weapons several times when I was in the military. It is fun. I loved it. It's expensive because those magazines go quickly, but that's why it's there. That's why bump stocks exist is because of that ban. Banning them is the uh, is banning the free market solution to an already unconstitutional ban. That is why. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about it. I would highly recommend that anybody that agrees with Trump's NRA-backed ban of bump stocks and um, uh, binary triggers and crank triggers and anything similar, uh, I would strongly recommend that you reevaluate where you stand because they are an infringement. And to say that they are just an accessory, then you should not care about suppressors either, or 30-round mags, because you don't need a 30-round mag, uh, because it's just an accessory. But anyway, I digress. There is one final story that I want to get to. I know that I'm running long here, uh, but this one is an important one. It's taking place in New York, the uh, oh-so-gun-friendly New York City. And... Here is the headline. Lawmakers drafting a bill that would allow social media checks before gun purchase. Uh, this is from November 2nd, 2018, and it is from WCBS 880 uh, in New York. Uh, two New York lawmakers are working to draft a bill that would propose a social media check before a gun purchase. Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams and State Senator Kevin Palmer's proposal would allow authorities to review three years of social media history and one year of internet search history of any person seeking to purchase a firearm. Quote, a three-year review of social media profiles would give an easy profile of a person who is not suitable to hold and possess a firearm, Adams explains. The two are hoping to identify any hate speech on social media. Hate speech, which you know as well as I do, is something that is can be interpreted by anybody if they choose to do so. Uh, just saying, I love Trump, could be considered hate speech. The two are hoping to identify any hate speech on social media profiles, which are often revealed only after someone is arrested in a mass shooting. Quote, if the police department is reviewing a gang assault, a robbery, some type of shooting, they go and do a social media profile investigation, Adams says. There are some logistical concerns as free speech and gun rights complaints are likely to come up, though Adams and Palmer say it is, a, it is doable and needed. That is some Orwellian crap if I've ever heard it. 
1984 was not supposed to be an instruction manual, but that is straight out of that book. This is this bill if it becomes law, holy crap. It is going to be a uh, an infringement on the 1st, 2nd and 4th amendments all in one fell swoop, just done. And you could even argue Fifth Amendment protections because you are being deprived of such life, liberty, and property without due process, which, as you know, I don't agree with anyway. Th this bill is very dangerous. Um, I'm going to keep an eye on it. If the text actually comes out, I will be there to read it and deconstruct it, even though it won't take place here in Texas because it would take place in the state of New York. This is disgusting, and I hope that these two uh, lawmakers, I hope that they, I, I hope they they eat it. I hope that this bill falls so flat and just dies because it's just that dangerous. But being that it's New York, um, I would be willing to venture that it at least passes one of the chambers, if not both. Uh, it it is a uh, it's an evil bill that should definitely be uh, that would make the likes of our founding fathers cringe, even the founding fathers that I'm not perfectly fond of, like uh, Alexander Hamilton. Uh, this being from his home state of New York would uh, absolutely make him cringe. All right, so I want to uh, leave you with a little bit of history here. Um, I've, as some of you know, I'm in the process of writing a book, and uh, this was some things that I found out during the research uh, for one of the chapters that I'm working on now. And uh, I ended up posting this on my Facebook page, and I wanted to read it for you because I think it's some very good food for thought. Uh, in 1773, King George III placed a three pence per pound tax on tea imported to the American colonies with the Tea Act. This act specifically put in place to bail out the failing East India Company, which legitimately had a monopoly on American tea imports. According to the Boston Tea Party's museum website, the Sons of Liberty destroyed 92,000 pounds of tea that the East India Company valued at 9,659 pounds sterling. Divide that up, and each pound of tea was slightly more than uh, two shillings, or 0.1 pounds sterling. Think of it like a, like a dime. Uh, under the old pounds sterling pence system, there were 12 pence to a shilling and 240 pence to one pound sterling. So uh, two shillings would be 0.1 pounds. So the three pence per pound tax was equal to 0 0.0125 pounds sterling. This puts the cost to purchase tea that originally costs uh, two shillings, 0.10 pounds sterling, at 0.1125 pounds sterling, uh, or a 12.5% sales tax rate. Now, this, this is where I was kind of wrong in this post, is that it was an import tariff, not a sales tax. So they charged the uh, importer they charged that duty upon importation, and then that uh, was rolled into the cost whenever you went to buy it. 
in conclusion, the Patriots of the Revolution lost their minds when a 12.5% import tax was implemented on a single product to bail out a failing mega company. Today, 25% of your hard-earned income is taken from you before you ever get your check, and those dollars go to egregious amounts of corporate welfare. And we all just sit idly by while government continues to steal from us. Our founding fathers would be so disgusted with us at the moment. And um, it was it was interesting to to think that uh, just this little bit of taxation uh, ultimately laid all the groundwork for the American Revolution. And don't get me wrong, there was plenty that led up to the uh, T Act, like uh, the Stamp Act and uh, uh, the Townsend Acts, and uh, plenty of other things prior to this that took place in the 1760s that started the process. The T Act was one of the last ones that happened in 1773. Um, but yeah, that was ultimately what it was a 12.5% import tax or causing the value of your tea to go uh, from essentially, and this is this is kind of ironic when you really think about it, uh, but the cost of all of that in today's U.S. dollars means that per pound of tea, it went from $17.76 to $19.99, which I find to be quite funny. One, because $17.76, and two, because everything's $19.99 now. Um, but... Anyway, that was that's what led the outrage, and that is what led everybody to be on such uh, the, the turmoil, the political turmoil in the United States or at the the American colonies at the time was so out of control because of this small amount of tax compared to what we have today. Uh, anyway, I just thought that the, well, that was interesting. I wanted to leave you with it. That's going to do it for me. Um, please subscribe to this episode, uh, to this podcast if you're not already. Like and rate this episode if you can. And uh, tune in next week. Until next Monday, Lone Star Gunners, arm yourself with knowledge and share the ammo. Lone Star Gun Talk is a Lone Star Gun Rights production, hosted and edited by Derek Wills. Copyright Lone Star Gun Rights 2018.